Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the OMG MotoGP podcast with former Grand Prix rider and British champion Keith Ewan and myself, Amy Reynolds. Coming up on the show today, we'll be joined by Crash.net's MotoGP editor, Pete McLaren, to discuss the barnstormer that was the Australian Grand Prix. Don't forget, you can give us a shout on social media at OMG MotoGP or email us in a question at omgmotogp at gmail.com. But before we bring Pete in, Keith, it's the age-old saying we always say when we turn up on the island, you never know what you're going to get. And never has a statement rang more true, has it? No, you're absolutely right. I'd love to quote from Mick Doohan this weekend that said, you you never know what you don't know. Uh, a typical <laughs> Australian making it very succinct in as much as that. Uh, and you mentioned Barnstormer a minute ago, and we were all expecting that storm come Sunday. And of course, the, the weather forecast for once was absolutely bang on. Dawner's reaction to the weather forecast was bang on as well by bringing the, the main race, the Grand Prix race, forward to the Saturday and obviously the sprint going on to, to the Sunday. For anybody that's not followed the timetable, it was a bit tricky for everybody. Of course, with teams being the way they are nowadays, you know, Having everything in place by the second is the way that we run our lives in Grand Prix, isn't it? It's been like it for many, many years. So to have that kind of upset destabilizes everybody a little bit. So it was really interesting to see how they all coped with it. And fitting in around that was Moto3 and Moto2, of course. And, of course, the television, you know, it, I had people ringing me up and sending me messages. Well, where is it? What is it? Why Why, why is the timing changed? Like, I know anything. As, as you know, I'm really tech savvy. Well... I'm not going to say anything, Keith, because I don't think I'm coming from a great place of judgment. Uh, obviously, Moto2 and Moto3 did get running, while Moto2 partial running on Sunday. We'll come on to them a little bit later on. But obviously, the story of the Saturday rather than the Sunday, but the, the story of the weekend, Joan Zarco finally getting that elusive MotoGP win. It was absolutely not what I anticipated, expected, even at the start of the race, I wouldn't have put Joanne Zarco to take his first MotoGP win there, would you? 
No, he wouldn't have either. That's a fact. So it was one of them 120 Grand Prix, looking for his first Grand Prix win in MotoGP. I mean, obviously, the double uh, World Moto2 champion was... Um, he was on quite good form. He's been on quite good form this year, although he seemed to have been going through a bit of a dip every time we predicted. I used to predict him for, for podiums regularly early on in the season, and he kind of let me down so many times. I've let him drop off the edge now, which is sod's law, isn't it? When you should really be betting on somebody, they... Um, they don't do it. And uh, then when you uh, let go of that particular, he does fantastically. Yeah. Um, but I've got to say, it wasn't just about that, was it? I love some of the the, the, the comments that have come in since, of course. I mean, the, the Pramac team. I mean, can you imagine how they must have felt? They've got Jorge Martin, who potentially was going to lead the World Championship or, or was bringing back the, the deficit that he found from Indonesia when he fell off when he shouldn't have done. Um, but... Basically, it looked like Pramac were going to be just where they needed to be. Zarco in the frame, Martin winning. Um, he timed it to perfection to lose a race to the very, very last lap. I mean, a soft tyre, for those people that weren't following it too closely at the weekend, he was one of three that went with soft rear tyres. Um, he obviously thought he could make it work. Uh, Casey Stoner commented that, you know, if he was going to run that kind of strategy, he needed to get away at the front and blast off into the distance so no one could interfere with his aero or anything else, um, which is exactly what he did. He got something like four seconds in front, um, but just wasn't able to maintain it towards the very end. And uh, Miller Corner, you know, halfway, well, the third of the way into the very, very last lap, um, Zarco blasts up the inside of Jorge Martin, picked him up, Bangnaya flew through as well, and so did the others in the end. They're all going to get him, so I don't think Pramac had much to... To really moan about and I don't think really excuse me or hey Martin had anything to really moan about either it was a case of he was going to get done by all of them on that last lap in the run to the line but it just happened to Zarco I, I, I made a quote of his which I love when um, when he was interviewed in Parfait uh, I don't want to cry at the moment but I think it will come soon done with a French accent I think that's just fantastic um, you know it, it was emotional and the other thing that that was we all are expecting the backflip that, of course, he's very well known for when he wins wins a race, a flipping Frenchman. He hasn't done it for a while, uh, has he? He hadn't done it because of superstition, you know, like he hadn't practiced it. And, I, you know, trying to bend a set of leathers in the, in the wrong way with your helmet on, boots on, gloves on, as he did off of a fence for the first time in since when, 2015? I don't know. It must be well, going back that 2015, far. 2015, yeah. Um, no, 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 no 2015, done, yeah. 20... Since he did did a backflip, I mean, it's yeah, eight years. It must be eight years. It's got to be eight years. So to 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 do a backflip after eight years of not doing one <laughs> off a fence, fully clothed in leathers that won't bend in that way, with all the protection that's in them anyway, is bloody lucky he did himself an airbag. <laughs> um, did you listen to the French commentary clips? Unbelievable. They reminded so, me of uh, so good. It was. Uh, yeah. I used to love Dorna when they, and you being part of Dorna for so many years. You, you'd have been maybe part of setting this up. But I always used to like Dorna at the end of the year when they did a montage of all the different nationalities, all the different commentary, and all the different languages, including ours, obviously. And do you know what? I always used to. I get to. Oh, they didn't use the best clip. You know, <laughs> ego coming out like it does. It was quite, quite amusing. Oh, I wish they'd used that one from so and so, so and so track. I was much better then. You know, like like it counts at all. But yeah. but. All the different nationalities in their different styles. I mean, the Italians are fantastic, but the French have excelled, obviously, uh, for this one. Good on them. They haven't done that for a while. Hopefully, they'll bring out a nice one at the end of the year. And then, of course, we've got to talk about um, the fact that Paco, despite not exactly yet again making life 
easy for himself in terms of he found himself in Q1 yet again, did still manage to go through to Q2 and ended up on the front row. And like you said, kind of came like a, not out of nowhere, but it wasn't looking as though it was was going to be... It was intelligent. It was intelligent. It was a tyre race. You knew what was going to go on. You knew asymmetric tyres around Phillip Island, the the weather changes, the temperature changes. You never really quite know what you're going to get. I'm not going to do the do and quote again because I'm sure I mucked that out the first time. But anyway, it's one of those situations where you don't quite know what you're going to get. Pecco, I mean, I'm going to get a slamming for this and I'm fine. Put it in the comments below. But, you know, aliens, we used to have aliens once upon a time, like Mar Marquez, obviously. We'd we'd have different people that you would consider to be aliens. Even the Danny Pedrosas of this world, of course, were in that category. But what we have now in Pecco Bagnaia is an intelligent young man. I mean, he he knew what was coming to him later in the race and put himself in a position where he could use it to its best advantage when that time came. Um, the opportunities fell into his, his his lap. I mean, you've got to feel a bit sorry for Jorge Martin. That's two now that really he should have won and didn't win. Um, but he ain't over and done with. I think Jorge Martin is a bit of a weapon this year once he gets himself sorted out. I wonder who made the call regarding tyre. Um, it well, wouldn't have been Michelin, that's for sure, because Michelin wouldn't have... I'm sure Michelin... A, they said you would be stupid if you used a soft tyre. Everyone used the hard fronts. But, of course, there was that medium to soft possibility. Um, Zarco would have been one in the past that might have tried that strategy with a softer yep. rear tyre in because he, he always seems to be able to get a bike to the end as well. But but it was, a, it, it was a call that really spectacularly went wrong. But it was yeah. this close. It was a call that was so close to the edge for, for him winning on that tyre. But I think Peko... The- Intelligent ride from him and from Zarco. I mean, nine laps to go, you could see that Martin's tyre had gone. He was being caught. With nine laps to go, it was just a question of whether he could hang on. Um, uh, Zarco said with five laps to go, he was a believer. Suddenly, with five laps to go, he suddenly thought he might be able to take this. Wow, what a race. Philip Island never disappoints, does it? It doesn't. Uh, the team have taken responsibility for that tyre call. We'll be able to get some insight from Pete as well to see, I mean, like, was there a world where that was ever going to work? I know there were a few um, ex-riders and commentators that even said themselves right at the start of the race. I just don't understand that. I'll go and shake my hand or I'll go and shake his hand rather if that does come off. So anyway, we'll move on because the other absolutely like just heartwarming those storylines that just make you go oh this sport is so good Fabio Di Antonio do you (laughs) oh he's such a lovely lovely guy though Fabio Di Antonio we know that he's essentially been stiffed a little bit by the fact that he's lost his ride next year uh to Mark Marquez uh but to really turn around, what, a week or two later and get his first Grand Prix po- or MotoGP podium, I should say. He, it wasn't well, it, it wasn't a flick, was it? Him, it was strong. It? It's, not, it's not over him for him, Amy. There are opportunities still. I think there's two that may come up. I mean, the best one would be if he could get that Aprilia ride if uh, Oliveira does go for Honda. If I should say if Oliveira is stupid enough to go for Honda, um, then, then there is that possibility. But... Uh, I, I, I think Digi, Frankie Carcetti is his crew chief. He's going with Mar Marquez next year in the same team, in the Grassini team. I mean, it's, it's Mar Marquez has taken his ride, obviously. Um, Frankie Carcetti manages uh, Jake Dixon as a personal manager as well. So Frankie Carcetti is someone who's got his finger on the pulse 
on all sides of the fence at the moment. He knows what's going on. But as a crew chief, because of the struggles that Digi was having, they decided to go with some really radically different changes on that machine that they've never tried, that you know, Ducati, none of the teams have tried really. And it's worked. And I think that there's several fronts for this one. I mean, Mark Marquez might be thinking, he might be a bit bit sort of thinking to himself, crikey, I'm going to lose Santi Hernandez. I've, you know, I've been with the guy since forever. I've had a crew chief and a, a team around me that's really, really good. But suddenly he's going to be looking across now thinking, oh, change is as good as the rest. This Frankie Carcetti fella, who they all know for, for a long time, Englishman, um, is going to be um, is going to be my crew chief, and look what he's managed to achieve with Digi when Digi was all at sea. Now the fact is, if you can think out of the box well enough to get Digi on the pace after all this time, then I think that that bodes really well for for the likes of Marquez next year, and may have allayed some of the the fears and perhaps a little bit of tension that you would get initially in a team with who's in charge of decision making when it comes to the bike. Would it be crew chief? Would it be Mark? You know, and all of a sudden they're, they're lined up in as much as Mark will probably look across and trust Frankie a little bit more. And yeah. Frankie obviously, you know, has that confidence to to be able to tell Mark that well look, this is what we tried, this is what we did. And so I think looking to twenty twenty four, um, Grassini are looking I know it's sad that we're going to be losing Digi, but it's good that we've got a, a crew chief and, a, and and Marquez that are probably going to be able to work together quite well, whatever each of them want. You know, Marquez will want something different from that motorbike than probably anyone else has ever asked for in Ducati because of the right way he rides a motorbike. Um, yeah. So it's, I think it bodes well, not just for Digi. I think it's great for for him to be having these performances at this time. And my oh, sincere hope, if, if Oliveira does decide to go to Honda and take that punt, um, if he is indeed in in the frame for that, which we we speculate that he is, and we'll speak with Pete about it in a bit, um, that leaves a gap in an Aprilia team, which I think will suit Digi a lot lot better than perhaps a Honda would would be my view. Just for people listening back home as well that perhaps won't know Frankie Cartelli's background, he, of course, was who took Joan Mir to his uh, first MotoGP world title with Suzuki. So he's definitely got got some uh, good good background to Frankie, and he's just such a, a great guy. So, Keith, you think that actually, I was going to ask you, can a ride like Digia's ride on Saturday sometimes just change your future like that when it's looking as though that's it, the doors, like the windows, the win- shop windows are closed. Can they all I come think, fly back up again? I think the fact that he's in MotoGP and he's come the way he's come says that he's a great rider. Um, he's had a struggle where he is for whatever reasons they are, but they seem to have got that sorted out. If he has consistent rides towards the end of the year, the, the one or two people that have, have got to do some thinking might do some rethinking at this particular point. We'll wait and see. I mean, I... It's going to be easy if he's lucky. I mean, the doors are pretty much closed, aren't they? I mean, there's there's nothing much. There's a couple of seats there that that need confirming, and 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 they may already have put pen to paper. We we don't know that from where we're sitting at the moment. Um, talking at the moment, if I may, we're recording this on the Monday, the twenty third, and of course, for all of us, a very very sad day going back to twenty eleven when we lost um, Marco Simoncelli on this day at Sepang. So I just thought I'd um, have a moment's thought for everybody out there that, that in the passage of time, we always tend to forget and, and sort of overlook some of these milestones. But one of the, the, the great races to be, um, you know, crashed out at Sepang and, and sadly um, that was uh, today is the anniversary of that. Yeah. Just a bit of a It's just such a shame as well because ordinarily the calendar would lend itself to people 
from the paddock who obviously were very close to him personally being able to go out and, and pay their respects but obviously we're off to Thailand um, next but he's definitely going to be in a lot of people's thoughts today um, and, and it goes without saying definitely within ours um, well we've not got long before we should bring Pete in um, and let him tell us what he's been finding out um, just one more thing before we do um, in terms of the title race now, um, Marco Bezeffi, we know that he is somewhat on the back foot still, um, coming back from his injury as quickly as he did uh, last time I, uh, in, in Indonesia. And we know the intensity of these back-to-back races can, an injury which perhaps you might be able to recover a little bit quicker from when you've got that gap in between the races. Suddenly when you've got your races all bunched up, you've just not got that downtime between the races. It can be like the week after they start feeling it a little bit more. Um, what is it? I think he's like 70 something points back now in terms of that um, Red GP title. And I saw that people are already kind of like ruling him out and saying it's like a two man title race now, but there's still what? Something like 140 something points up for grabs. Sorry, my math is rubbish. I'm trying to work out numbers really quickly. 37 <laughs> times. <laughs> it could be worse. You could ask me to do it. <laughs> I, think the, I think the point you're making is, is, is does he still have a chance? And the, yeah. the, the fact is, is what, what he does have is those races ahead of him that he can just go for it. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of, you haven't got to think of a strategy. You just ride how you want to set the bike up, how you want to set the bike up and go for it because everyone's writing him off. So if he does something brilliantly, that's fantastic. Getting back to the collarbone injury, a collarbone injury is not a problem. It's just the bits around it. I mean, once they've bolted it back together, there's no problem apart from that. I'm not going to make light of an injury that you've had invasive surgery over. And the fact is, is that the concern would be that you have another big accident. You bend the rods and bend the bits and bust the bits out of it. And it creates a whole load more. So you've got that anxiety in your head. Um, so there, there is that problem. Uh, but as far as a pain and a physical getting on with it side of things is concerned, I mean, Lorenzo did it even quicker, didn't he? When he busted his ass and yeah. went back to Spain for a minute, come back and finished fourth or fifth in the in the race on 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 the same weekend that he was racing for in the first place when he broke it. Um, so no, I don't think it's going to interfere with him much. It's going to interfere with his head. He's going to be aware that if he if he has a tumble or something like that, he might you know cause himself a bit more damage. Um, but to the real point, can he still win the world championship? Of course he can mathematically. He won't, but that would be my prediction straight away. Um, and yeah. I'd love to be completely wrong, of course, um, because it would be one of the most remarkable comebacks that we've ever had in Grand Prix history. But um, the opportunity is just there for him to do whatever he wants to do um, as he feels fit to do. I mean, he's all sorted out for next year. Um, he's just got to end on a high from a, from a race winning perspective if he can. But the championship, I think, is gone. It's a two-man race. And at the moment, with Jorge Martin, who has been without doubt the fastest man in the last six Grand Prix, um, including sprints as well, six sprints, six Grand Prix, um, he should already have one hand on the trophy. But of course, our, our motorbike racing being what it is, he hasn't. And Peko's, you know, stolen a bit of a march, actually. It's going to be a real, real bun fight between those two as we move forward now. And of course, yeah. it proved at the weekend. You can have a spoiler. You know, someone like Zarco can suddenly pop one in, take the 25 points. See, you never really know with bike racing. It's 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 a it's a great series, and it's I mean it's they're all going to be knackered at the end of it. They're going to need a year off after this, I reckon. I don't think you're wrong there. Well, let's bring in uh, Crash.net MotoGP's editor Pete McLaren now. Uh, Pete, have you managed to warm up yet? <laughs> yeah, no, no. Fortunately for me, I wasn't in Phillip Island, so uh, yeah. Alf- 
but um, yeah, I think we've all been there, haven't we? And it really is the edge yeah. of the world. So um, yeah, when you go down there, I, I've always, luckily when I've been there, I've had the sunny side of it. Of course, I think everyone gets the rain at some time, but yeah, those conditions on Sunday, I mean, just unbelievable. And uh, as, as Keith says, they called it perfectly, didn't they? This new sprint format gave them the chance to have this Saturday race. Um, I mean, I suppose with hindsight, the one question you might say is, should the sprint have been in place of the Moto3 race on the Sunday? Um, we did hear that, that you know, the, the sprint would be the priority and, you know, so it would have been a, what, 25-minute race. The conditions were wet, obviously, on Sunday morning, but they could have got the sprint in. They probably could have got Moto3 and then afterwards, Moto2 would still have run out of weather. It, about 11 a.m., wasn't it? It all went even worse than it was before and, and the wind was the problem, of course. So, yeah, interesting, though, of course, what will they do in future now? Now they have this opportunity, you know, will we when he's too wet that's going to be the difficult thing isn't it you know and i'm thinking of thailand this weekend last year we saw that terrible downpour that delayed the motor gp race now if that situation happens this year and it does look like there's a chance of rain on each day not as bad as as last uh, year but still you know it's going to be another option but it's also maybe a complication of uh you know when is it wet and when is it too wet shall we say or in the case of Phillip island too windy so uh yeah another dimension but as Keith said, I think Race Direction called it you know, pretty much perfectly this weekend. I think they could in Phillip Island. I think the weather forecasting in Phillip Island is actually, it is either the wind blows this way or the wind blows that way. And pretty much you can tell whether it's going to be wet, hot, cold, whatever it's going to be, just by which way the wind's coming off. If it's coming off Tasmania, the South Pole, then you know it's going to be cold. And if it's coming off the land, it might be a bit warmer. I mean, Buriram is a bit more difficult in Thailand to predict the weather. I mean, you know, you're up the road from there anyway, Pete. Um, how is Udon Tani, by the way? Don't tell me I'm jealous. <laughs> it's dry, <laughs> it is one dry of those at the moment. But... I, I hope it's going to stay that way. But yeah, the forecast, it, as I say, it looks like about a 50-50 chance of rain Friday, Saturday and Sunday. So uh, we could be in for more drama with the championship oh, this weekend. Buriram is landlocked. It's in the middle and it can either be, it can be very tropical or it can be absolutely humid and hanging. Really, really difficult place to, to, to predict the weather. I, it's it's going to be a tough one for those that uh, come back from Phillip Island expecting it to be um, okay weather-wise. And, and when I, they held, sorry, Pete. No, go on. I was just going to say, reinforce what you guys were saying about Zarko's win. I mean, what a, what a story that was. And, uh, you know, it's to say so many times a runner-up and, and of course he's, coming to the end of his Ducati career. But Keith, you reminded me of something there that you said at the end, you know, that anything could happen, Zarko could be up there. Imagine if he now goes and wins a couple more. I mean, we know that winning can change a rider's mentality, can't it? He's now got that off his back. It's going to be difficult to get off that Ducati at Valencia if he if he now continues this run. He's got, what, eight more races if you count the sprints as well. Uh, and on the other hand, on Honda's side, they now, it turns out, have signed a Grand Prix winner. And they signed him before he won the Grand Prix. So they signed him for a fee that was below what he would have got. <laughs> so, uh, you know, they now are guaranteed to have Juan Mir, Grand Prix winner, and Johan Zarco, another Grand Prix winner, on their bikes for next year. So it, it's looking like a good pick there. But uh, interesting to see what Zarco does in these last uh, few races, if this does change it. Well, he's going to need something a bit special where he's going. That is for certain. And uh, the, remember how consistent he was once he started winning races in Moto2. <laughs> there was nobody who could touch him. <laughs> You know, he was a bit special at Moto2. He is. Uh, anybody that doesn't follow Zarco, he's well worth following because he, he is an unusual character. I know we say that about so many different people, but Joan Zarco is the most unique man in motorbike racing, I have to say. I mean, I, just a, a quick... Uh, we, we I stood in the Urta... Uh, I was going to say workshop, office, 
um, one day and he came in and he'd written this song to the tune of Obla D Obla Da. The beat was Obla D Obla Da and it was about Jack Miller. And he sung this song just doing the old beatbox thing straight off the way. Obla D Obla Da about Jack Miller. And it had not just one version, that we, the one verse that we all sort of went, we're all looking at each other in this office. You know, there was about half a dozen people in there and thinking, what on earth are we witnessing here? And then he went into the second verse. <laughs> it wasn't just one. An unusual guy. I, you have to love him. He is so incredibly French and he is so incredibly <laughs> unique. I, I love the bloke. I, I, I mean, it would be fantastic if he did something on the Honda. What do you think made the difference this weekend? I remember when I always used to put the question to him, you know, what is he going to take for you to take that first MotoGP win? And he said, you know, I'm always missing this special, this special something, this special feeling that you need. Like, where did that come from? Saturday? He is a man who runs on a special feeling. I mean, he is, he is, like I say, he's a very unusual character. You can imagine that, that you know, the special um, feeling that he needs he may well, as Pete has just said, he may well have just found. And if that carries forward um, to, to to more podiums for the rest of this year, God forbid, more wins. I mean, that, that's going to chuck the cat amongst the pigeons, isn't it, if he manages more of them? And, I, I mean, I've bet on Zarco several times early on this year because I believe that he has winning potential. Um and, and now that he's done it, as Pete has quite clearly said, quite rightly said, that, that we could see more of it. And like I said earlier on, it could be a massive spoiler with these two guys scrapping. And even more technical is the fact he's leaving the team that one of the guys is fighting the championship in. You know, like Jorge Martin is his teammate. You know, some people might argue that, that you know, bashing him out of the way at Miller Corner in Australia was not on. No, I don't think there, I don't, I haven't heard of anybody say that, by the way. But, but you, I suppose you could argue it if you were being unreasonable. But for a man that was heading for his first ever Grand Prix win, you know, hang on a minute. A team that I'm leaving, <laughs> I don't think I've got as much loyalty. I mean, it would it would have been going through his head as he came down the hill into bloody into Honda Corner, sorry Miller Corner. Um, and there you go. I'm glad he took the opportunity. <laughs> that's that's it. And, and I mean, it was a fair and square win. I think it's because, of course, we see Jorge Martin fading. But the reality is, Zarco beat Peko Banyaya on the same tyres with the same bike in a head-to-head -head fight. You know, that is a well-deserved win, isn't it? And uh, I think Martin was asked after the race, you know, well, what about the Zarco pass? He went, no, look, no problem with it. And the reality is there was, what, three or four guys queued up behind him. If Zarco didn't go for it, the others would have gone for it anyway. And, and, and who knows what would have happened. And then in amongst them, there's Brad Binder again on that KTM, less than one second from the victory already with that carbon fiber chassis. I mean, it, it's coming, isn't it? I mean, it was all so close uh, for all of them. I mean, as you said, Keith, one more, one lap less and Martin would have been a hero, wouldn't he? But the problem was the race was 10 seconds faster than last year when Marquez made the soft tyre work. Marquez, of course, gambled as the same as Jorge Martin, didn't he, uh, uh, on Saturday. And he knew in the early laps, he was like, look, this tyre is not going to last at this speed. And, and of course, they all fade. Well, he faded back. Paul Spargo was the, the third guy to try the soft. He faded back. And then finally, that last lap, Jorge Martin just went back as well. But that seems to have been what had done it. And maybe that was what you, you, you raised the question, Amy, about why Martin yeah. chose that tyre and that gamble. And maybe he did look at Mark the year before and thought, well, Marquez made it work. I think there was also yeah. the fact he'd spoken in the pre-race press conference. He really didn't want to get involved in a big group battle, which, of course, Philip Island is famous for, isn't it? Martin, uh, actually, I think it was Pecco said, Martin's great on traction, 
he, he loses out a little bit on breaking. So that does leave him a little bit vulnerable to passes and slip streams and all that. So I think he just thought, look, I'm a sign on pole position. I've got great pace. I'm going to try and break away. Of course, in a normal weekend, the sprint would have been kind of like FP4 in the past for, for us guys, isn't it? Before this new format where, where it was the final practice, you do your race setup and everything else. They didn't have that. So he had to make a choice, go into the race. And I think all of those things just went against him. But the bottom line is, and, and again, you raised this, Amy, if everyone else pretty much is on that tire and you're fighting for the championship, you've got to go with what everyone else has got, unless you're absolutely yeah. 100% certain, haven't you? Because it's yeah. just too risky. Go with whatever your main opponent is using. And uh, I think, yeah, the, well, as he said, there won't be any more tie gambles for the rest of this year. I'm nodding I, I like know. a nodding dog because I was going to ask you both that exact question. Do you take a risk like that this late in the game when no. you are... A no, I agree with you. And, the, and no, I think, you don't. Pete, correct me if I'm wrong, the team have taken responsibility for making that decision. But I think we're all scratching our heads going, that was a really... There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Really bad call to make. It doesn't even matter about us scratching our heads because we don't actually count <laughs> and we don't actually know and we're not actually close enough. But when you've got people like Casey Stoner, who's still absolutely pin sharp doing there's people that are on site that know Philip Island. I mean, the key here is knowing Philip Island as well as you do. Um, and Casey Stoner, I mean, he was scrapped. He just didn't understand why he would take the risk. I mean, the old days, please, can I just get our old days thing in there? You always have to. You just look around and see what everyone else is running. If you were in doubt, you'd look around and you'd, you'd, you'd make sure you were running what everyone else was running just to give yourself the same chance. It, that belief in your ability to be able to beat someone on the same kit, same tyres. Um, but taking that risk, he didn't even need to take that risk. He knew he was fast. You know, he was fast out of the box all weekend. So it's not like... And he was fast on the medium rear tyre as well earlier on in the weekend. So it, it wasn't like he, he'd gone out and didn't like the medium rear tyre. It worked for him previously. So if that was a team decision, it wasn't a good decision, that's for sure. And the trouble is it's two setbacks in a row for him, isn't it? You know, obviously he fell in uh, the previous race and then he, you know, so victory was pulled away from him there. Then it suddenly pulled away from him on the last lap in Phillip Island and all that confidence that he built up that was just getting sky high, wasn't it? With all those wins and, and I think, was it six wins in seven races or something? And the other one was the second place. Suddenly now it, it's sort of, eroding away a bit and you've got Pecco who who he does have this ability to pick himself up doesn't he when he when he suffers these big setbacks like like the accident in India or something like that the bad qualifying in Indonesia 
he is able to sort of reset and come back strongly and uh, he's keeping calm and and I think it's just it's interesting now that you know things are going more towards Pekka we saw everyone was almost writing him off weren't they after uh, after you know he'd lost the lead after having what was it 66 points at one stage ahead of Martin so yeah, but you know, Martin is going to be dangerous because, as, as Mark Marquez and people say, he's got nothing to lose, really, is he? He's a satellite rider. He's just going to have to go for it. And uh, you know, Peko can't relax. But you know, that's got to be playing on Martin's mind now, isn't it? That, that things have just something's happened and taken what should have been, as you guys have said on paper, you'd have picked Martin for the win all day on Saturday before the race, and it, and it, and it went away from him. And I think that's got it. That's got to play on your mind a bit, isn't it? Mind you, we do get a chance to hear the French national anthem, and with. Um... Zarko belting it out at the top of his voice on the on the podium. That, that 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 brings a bit of a tear to the eye. And I'm not even French or a French <laughs> fan particularly. I've got to say that it was a bit special seeing him up there and the whole team screaming it out. So uh, great scenes. I mean, Phillip Island, it's a bloody odd place to go in the, the, the best of times. You know, where else do you get a motor, motor race track in a bloody nature reserve effectively at the end of the earth, which is where it is. And it continually and consistently brings us um, great racing. Uh, my argument would be, though, it needs moving yeah. um, as a venue at a time. Not not the venue, but the, the date that it's played out on. Now that we don't have Formula One at Albert Park or whatever, it used to, because the state of Victoria used to need to the, the big events moving either end of the calendar, Formula One obviously used to take the prime position uh, up in Melbourne. But um, uh, So Phillip Island got the short straw for MotoGP and we always got the, the, the crap weather. So why don't they just move it? Why don't we just move it to a time in the, in, you know, World Superbikes always used to go there when the weather was nice. Um, why don't we just pinch their slot or something and um, and put MotoGP where we don't have the risk of this? Or or do we prefer the risk of it? I don't know. But if I'd have been the fans that were, were booked for the Sunday and um, I didn't get a Grand Prix race and it got rained off halfway through the year, I mean, they, the, the, I mean again, the riders, I mean, the riders love the place so much. They put their own time into it. They went round at the end and did, you know, the, the old, hero buddy fans thing at the, at the end as well so they, they spent a bit of time making an effort i mean the australians for what is a fairly small crowd over their whole weekend do a great job i mean it's a it's a it's a it's a great event considering it feels more like and again i don't mean this in a, in a derogatory kind of way it feels more like a club race when you're there lots of very enthusiastic people working for nothing to make it work um you know car parks that aren't fully tarmacked and line painted and all the rest of it you know places where you can walk to watch that feel more like you know donnington park 1978 or whatever it would have been yeah where you can go everywhere without massive grandstands and it does have that northwest 200 i made the analogy last time when we were talking on here it makes me feel like i'm at the the, the northwest 200 like massive massive you know enthusiasm but in a, in a slightly more basic way so i think that um, i hope philip island never actually loses that but i do hope that they they look at maybe moving it in the calendar so that the, the weather is perhaps a bit more consistent you've got to imagine that the question was definitely put to um to them when they were held the press conference about moving the whole schedule around but we shall see if anything moves on that pete <coughs> obviously the other um, big story was seeing Fabio Di Antonio get his uh, first GP podium. Keith and I were just having a chat and, and um, Keith seems to think, you know, a ride like that could potentially open the shop window for Fabio. Um, there's obviously not many or really only realistically one available seat on the most GP grid for next year. 
unless we see a move from Miguel Oliveira. Um, have we heard anything else on on that kind of specula- speculation or rumour? I, I suppose the first bit is to to say that Zarco, because he was in the running, wasn't he, for the potentially the Repsol ride, he sort of ru- ruled himself out. Um, it sounds like he, he did have discussions about it. Obviously, he'd, he'd already signed a two-year deal with HRC. Um, so, so it seemed like the obvious or the easiest option. Um, but it seems like in their discussions that they were really looking for somebody only for, well, guaranteed anyway, for one year. So it sounds like Honda want to keep their options open for 25, which is when all of the contracts for the riders are sort of up for grabs. Now, at the moment, of course, he's got that two-year deal with LCR. So I think he was kind of in a situation where he, he might have gone to Repsol for one year and then gone to LCR for the second year. And he said, look, you know what, you know, knowing how important continuity is with the team and getting to know everyone in there that he said look you know I'll, I'll just I'll stay with LCR that works for Cecchinello who as we know is basing his sponsorship package around having Zarco who is now as we said a Grand Prix winner as well as being a popular name a popular guy so that, that's the first thing is that Zarco sort of ruled himself out of the Repsol seat as you say then if you get Oliveira potentially moving across and you've got all these Talk about does he have a chance to get out of his contract or not? Who knows? And and even who approached who is is, is it Honda approaching Oliveira or Oliveira approaching Honda? That's the other one. Um, we don't know yet. Um, what we do know, obviously, is that Honda have got a lot of money up for grabs. What, what was Marquez potentially on fifteen million a year? I mean that that gives them that frees up a lot of budget for them. So uh, you know people will be interested in that seat. Satellite riders would make the obvious, you know, the obvious target, wouldn't they? A bit like Rins going to going to Monster Yamaha. Um, and, and again, there with Rins, imagine, and he was asked this actually in Indonesia, imagine if he hadn't have gone to Monster Yamaha, he would have been the obvious choice for the Repsol seat, obviously already having a HRC contract. But as he said, he, you know, he couldn't have known that at the time. But it's funny how these things sort of work out, isn't it? But coming back to Digia, as you say, you know, great for him to show that he can get on the podium, everything else. I think, he, he, you know, he, he feels a little bit frustrated that he wasn't given a bit more time. And, and he, you know, he's saying, look, we were building and when we've, Rome was, isn't built in a day, I think, was one of the quotes he, he gave after the race. But I think the reality is, I think Keith might have mentioned this earlier, look, you've got Marc Marquez that wants to ride that bike. I mean, Digia would have had to have a season up there with Bezecchi, you know, winning multiple races and fighting for the championship to, 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 you know, to potentially defend his place against Marc Marquez. So as, as great as this was, I don't think it really would have changed, given the team had the chance of Marc Marquez, I don't think it really would have changed anything. But what it does do is, as you say, it puts him in the shop window. Um, you know, it shows that he can be fast on a MotoGP bike. Will that be, as Keith says, the Aprilia might suit him better, I mean, um, you know, than the Honda. But uh, let's see. Yeah, it remains to be seen who reps will go for. Um, it sounds like the LCR team, though, is fixed. And that would have been, if he was going to Honda, Digi's best chance would have been Zarco to Repsol, Digi slots in at LCR. Doesn't sound like that's happening. So to be honest... I think it would be, you know, his best chance to stay in MotoGP is if Oliveira moves, for example, and then Digia takes over that RNF seat. But yeah, a lot of negotiating to go. And, uh, you know, it's as we saw with Mark, te- riders can't sign for two teams at, at, at once, can they? And that's the difficulty. So Oliveira or whoever it is, if they have a contract, they're going to have to get out of that first. And then, you know, they can do the negotiation with Honda. So there's two parts to it. You can't you can't sign for two, two teams at the same time. So... Uh, but you, know, you, you, you can you can you can sign letters of intent and the like as well though that tie you down <clears throat> fairly well with that and there, and there is a, an age to finance ratio here as well I mean at 33 years old Zarco you know like hang on a minute I'm looking to my future how much have I earned how long have I got to live 
after my retirement, which is a bloody long time, I have to say, that when you know, retiring at sort of, okay, say 35, even 40, look at me, I'm still bloody alive and never expected to be <laughs> after all this time. <laughs> and your money has to last a long time. Anybody, any motorbike racers that are listening to this are going to know exactly what I'm talking about. You think you're okay, but actually, if you um, can't find reasonably gainful employment, and, and the other thing is you're all used to spending money at a certain level, and when you're not earning those millions or whatever it might be, um, th- that is that is an issue worth thinking about. And if Honda are paying big money, you can understand why Zarco might well have gone for that uh, as well. And I, and I think a lot of us would have done, even if it was short term, it was big, big cash. Digi is in a slightly different position, obviously, because he's a youngster and still trying to make that work uh, from a sporting perspective. I'm not saying for a second that Zarco signed just for the cash, but... Um, uh, he'll have a, a greater belief in himself to be able to alter that Honda. But we've seen it all before, haven't we, riders that think they can alter manufacturers. It's only when the manufacturer becomes a little bit more compliant. Um, Ducati, for instance, you know, Burgess and, and and Rossi, when they went crashing in there with some arrogance to think that they'd spend five minutes on a Ducati that hasn't worked properly for the last, I don't know how long, except in the hands of Casey Stoner. Um, they thought they could fix it in a year and, and didn't get anywhere near it and bailed out the other end of it and and, and, and basically wasted a year. Um, so it's it's tricky, and I, I don't think Zarko will be going to Honda with the thought that he's going to be able to change anything. Certainly from LCR, you'll be able to put input into it, um, but it's going to be still a, a, a satellite team and a, a factory team trying to work it out. I tell you, as these rules change, I mean, Pete, when we get to 2027, when the, when we have the major changes, there is going to be a lot on this table that that they need to sort out, um, and they've been working on it. I mean, I mentioned Mike Trimby before. I mean, Trimby was working with with both Dorner and, and, and the teens regarding these rules before, bless him, he, he, he decided to, to um, fall off his perch. You know, it, it's, a, it's a case of that there's a lot of very intelligent people thinking about where this sport goes. And in the middle of all of that are the manufacturers wanting to come out on top. It's a, it's a, and, and then you've got the riders. It's a proper bumfire at the moment, on and off track. Well... Pete, before we let you go, um, there's just one more thing I wanted to touch on. It was a shame, obviously, not to see Jack Miller perhaps pull out a little special something that some kind, sometimes you can see from riders at their home Grand Prix. But the other head-scratcher for me, I mean, you guys will disagree, but I think the fact that he's had two podiums recently, Fabio Quartararo and Yamaha's inconsistency, it's just so hit and miss. They were absolutely nowhere this weekend, other than, I guess, that final practice. But it didn't, you know, show then in in the Grand Prix at all. Yeah, and you could probably expand that. I mean, Aprilia, yeah. you know, it's been a fantastic track for them, hasn't it, Philip Island? And and I think the RSVGP led for the first time with Ian Oni, didn't it? And it's always gone well there. And yet suddenly they had rear, rear grip problems. Yamaha, it seemed that back to the acceleration issues, it, it, as you say, Amy, it seems like some tracks... Um, it depends on the grip level. It seems they seem to suffer more depending on the grip level, on the on the type of tire, whether it's the stiffer heat resistant tire and those kind of things. Um, we heard, uh, I think it was Massimo Marigali was saying that, that they kind of have a theory now that maybe the Europeans have used aerodynamics to kind of make their make up for their chassis problems in the past. So where the Yamaha was really strong with the chassis, now the Europeans have got around that using aero. And so there's no advantage for, for the Yamaha now and those those kind of things. But they are still, as you say, it's it's Yamaha, it's Aprilia who was scratching their head. I mean, Vinales was fastest in the wet warm-up. And he said, well, I can't understand it because I had loads of rear grip in the wet and I had no rear grip in the dry. 
And it was the same for Alicia in the sprint race. They were spinning up, and yet it's it's not really a it's a flowing track. It should have been great for them. And and they really they said, look, we need to understand why the bike goes from one week to the other, and and it's hit and miss. And then I suppose just to complete that with Honda, it was their usual their edge grip problems again. So that was for those three manufacturers. It seemed to be that the problems that came up for them. And then you had the Ducatis and, and then KTM were, were somewhere near. Who knows what, as you say, Amy, if it had been a wet race, if they had gone ahead with that, you know, you wouldn't have, uh, well, you wouldn't have bet against Jack putting in a good effort or a bit of a gamble in the wet for his home fans, would you? I think they were both up there in the warm-up. They were, they were looking good, but unfortunately we didn't get to see it. So that was a shame for the, I think it was about 20,000 fans turned up on the Sunday. I think it was about 32 on the Saturday. So thankfully, most of the fans did get that message out on Friday night that look, you know, the Grand Prix is going to be on Saturday and either either changed their plans or, or stayed away on the Sunday. But um, as Keith mentioned earlier, I think what happens with tickets? I'm not sure. If you bought a ticket for the Sunday, how does that work now if you move the GB to the Saturday? But anyway, um, yeah, it's it, it, say for Yamaha, it's a really tricky one. I think Quattararo even said we need 15 winters to develop this bike, which is quite. You know, I mean, he's saying he was asked about how much of a step can you make for next year, you know, this winter. And he says, look, if we can get halfway to where we need to be by next year, that'll be a success. So that that's his kind of target. So he's been very realistic about it. But the reality is all of those contracts are up. We've seen Mark walk away, haven't we, now early from his. But, you know, there's going to be a lot of the similar questions that Mark got. Fabio's going to be getting next year if the Yamaha isn't performing. So, uh Big winter for Yamaha. Well, you talk about, I mean, there were lower grip levels this, this year at Phillip Island. And you've already said, Pete, the race was actually faster. So the fact is the grip's in a different place. Everything is in a different place. And you get that from year to year. You mentioned the aero that's taken over from some of the no normal mechanical grip that you might have had from, from the Yamaha in the past. And that's absolutely right. Um, and, my, and, I'll, and I'll pick up on some of this if I can as well with regard to the weather and how this has, has, has changed the format for the weekend. When we get our riders' union up and running, hey, oh, comrade, let's all get going. Um, when we get the riders' union up and running, sorry for being slightly derogatory there, but I just, I, I never quite understand it because there are avenues for, that I can see at the moment where we can make changes without needing a riders' union and, and a bunch of people with placards saying, we're not racing here, it's raining, um, walking down the street. It, it's kind of one of those things where when that comes up and running, there's another dimension to how we race, when we race, and under the conditions that we race. You know, we're heading into quite a... It feels like we've got a bit of a storm coming, brewing very slowly in 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 the back rooms at the moment of MotoGP, you know, from trying to slow bikes down. They've already, you know, fired the first shot across the bowels of World Superbikes to try and slow them down in the future. So uh, MotoGP prototypes will still be the faster bikes moving forward. But, I mean, Pete, do you, do you sort of feel that kind of tension that's, that's building in the paddock? Um, and, that, that, and that, of course, it's, it's no, you know, the loss of Mike Trimby will make a massive difference here. He was a, a big, he was the headmaster. He was the man that used to keep these things together in, 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 to, to great extent between Dorna and the teams. We're all sort of weighty, aren't we? For you, you spoke about the technical rules because they want them sorted out, don't they, by the end of this year, really? And it, it all seems to have gone quiet. Also, the talk about concessions. But Yamaha and Honda seems to have sort of gone a bit into a bit of a lull. Now, as you say, whether that's because of Mike Trimby's passing, maybe that's, you know, that's caused, you know, things to just, everyone's taking a step back and they'll, and they'll get back into that at a later date. I don't know. But it does seem like, you know, 
things that decisions that need to be taken pretty soon, uh, they're still not near agreement. And of course, that's what they want. They want all the manufacturers to agree. As you say, Keith, you've got five different manufacturers, all with different ideas of what the future of MotoGP, the future of motorcycling is, you know, how it will be powered, whether you have bigger engines, smaller engines, top speeds. Um, the one thing I think that I've heard is not on the table is a rev limit. And that's because they just knew they couldn't get any agree. There was no chance of an agreement on that. And I mean, I know Dorna have wanted to do it. They're obviously a rev limit, isn't there? Motor 3 and Motor 2. But they've never been able to get agreement in MotoGP. And it wasn't even discussed at the moment. So that's not that's definitely not in the plans. But, uh, but everything else is potentially up, up for grabs, even the size of the engines and things like that. At the same time, you've got Moto2. And uh, Keith, you were telling us a stat before we came on air that you might like to uh, read out again. But if you slow the MotoGP class down, you've now got to be aware that Pirelli are coming into Moto2 and they're going to be pushing upwards, aren't they? That we're expecting tires were a big thing for the smaller classes this weekend because the Dunlops are quite tricky in those, you know, they're known as being quite hard, aren't they? And, uh, you know, with cold temperatures and the winds, it's a bit tricky. And so you can't drop too far down unless you lower the Moto2 class because that's going to be the immediate comparison, isn't it? So, yeah, there's not a lot between them. And, um, yeah, some big decisions need to be taken. You mentioned that stat. Okay, I'll blast it out there, Amy, before we go to the next one. It was from Callum uh, at MUFC230 um, on Twitter. I mean, I can't believe he beat Martin Reigns to this because Martin Reigns, Dr. Martin Reigns, even uh, liked it when it came up here. Talking of that stat, Pete, thank you very much for reminding me of it. It was a bloke called Ducati.Key, uh, at Ducati Key, um, a fellow who put this stat out there at the moment. Um, the Fermin Oldigo, you were right, Pete. Um, Lap was faster than the fastest ever 500cc GP pole round here set by Jeremy McWilliams on the KR3 21 years ago. It's a great stat. Even Dr. Martin Reigns actually liked that stat. So um, to beat Martin Reigns at anything is pretty cool. So, yeah, a Moto, Moto Grand Prix, actually GP um, pole time beaten by Moto2 this year. Goes to show you the, the performance enhancement that we have over the years. And now we're getting to the stage where some of these bikes are too fast for some of these tracks. A lot of thinking. And if I can, just go back a bit with the, the, the Mike Trimby thing. When I saw Mike at Catalonia, I went out with my family to Catalonia. Mike was up to his neck in crossing T's and dotting I's for these rules. That's what he was. He was sat in the ivory tower of, of the International Race Teams Association trucks, um, working his way through. He had no time for a cup of tea, no time to talk, was under a lot of pressure to get this stuff done. So there, there's there's a tremendous amount going on in the background. And obviously the loss of Mike, I mean, I, hopefully he did all the work before he decided to um, to leave us. And, um, and, and they've got a nice format to be working to nowadays. Pete, lovely to see you. And great to hear you. And thanks for joining us. Good to see you guys. Yeah, I'll catch up with you later. And uh, yeah, good luck with the rest of the show. <laughs> Enjoy Bury Ram. <laughs> I'm sure I will. Fingers crossed for the uh, the dry weather. Keith, that leaves you and I to wrap up with Moto2 and Moto3. We mentioned at the top of the show, Moto3 got their full running. Uh, but the Moto2 race was red flag for very good reason indeed. Uh, Moto3 race was quite juicy though, wasn't it? The Moto3 race, uh, I mean, the trouble was the conditions were so tricky, weren't they? I mean, even on the, even on the, the sighting lap, you know, the formation lap, if you like, you know, riders, I think Olgado, did Olgado fall down? He had a big high side, didn't he? Yeah, Miller's, um, number of riders. Trickling through there. And Olgado, Morea went down as well. Batelli and Perez, I mean, those are 
horrendous conditions, but I think mainly because it was windy. You know, Moto3 bikes are affected tremendously by the wind as well as the grip. Uh, it takes the heat out of the tyres. I mean, they, they, don't, they don't have a corner called Siberia for no good reason. It is absolutely, when you move up onto that seaside front, it really whips across there. Which brings me back to the to the fans. I mean, they are such a hardy bunch. It's like, it is like Snetterton on a February morning. It, it, you know, moving back to my my kind of um, comparison with British club racing, it's uh, it's it's really really a, a, an inhospitable environment. No wonder the penguins like it down there. Well, Moto three, there could have been a bit of a change for the championship lead uh, with Adrian Fernandez, who had led most of that race, unfortunately crashing out. Then Ayumi Sasaki once again found himself in such a prime opportunity to sway that championship, especially with Jawa Masia a little bit further on down the pack. And it, it just didn't happen to him for him again. Do you think it's just a bit of a mental block at the moment? Well, I think Onchu was riding absolutely fantastic, wasn't he? I mean, he he, yeah. he got it pretty much sorted out. I mean, the track temp. I'm just looking at the track temperature. It was 14 degrees of track temperature. It was an ice cold wind. I mean, I made these notes as we as we went along. And Onchu, though, per, you know, perfect timing down at MG. Got it worked out. There was no way back from that point. I mean, commentators were talking about slipstreaming to the line, but you know, in those kind of conditions, it was unlikely. Um, Onchu had made it work, but for me, Kelso, you know, Kelso. You, you, you mentioned earlier on Miller not quite doing what maybe the the Australian fans would have liked him to have done, but Kelso did it, got a podium. And, and you know, it was one of those ones again, wasn't it? His first time on the podium. I mean, fantastic ride for him. And, and you never, ever forget your home Grand Prix. To stand no. on a podium at your home Grand Prix is a bit special. Um, and it, it sends the hairs on, on, the, on my hands up on end thinking about it. it it's um, for Kelso to do that. You know, it was was a great achievement for him and great for the fans that had stood there and bloody suffered the weather for as long as they've had over the weekend. Absolutely. Um, Josh Watley as well. A a big shout-out for Josh Watley coming through for a couple of points in 14th place. Um, Yeah. Scott Ogden, his teammate, had had an absolute mare of a weekend. It was a nightmare all the way through the weekend. They couldn't get to the bottom. They changed everything, you know, that they could change on a motorbike and it still didn't work um, through the warm-ups and the like coming through to to racing. So Ogden out. Josh Watley, though, good performance from him to get himself in uh, into the points. And in Moto2, there was drama from the start when Pedro Costa crashed out on the sighting lap. He had to start the race from the back of the grid. He did really good. well to come through where he did, actually. Yeah, it was a great ride. I mean, he picked his way. He's an intelligent fellow and he makes it work. I mean, is he, is he a wet weather rider? I don't think actually he's renowned for that. So the performance was was exceptional on several fronts. But, you know, what choice do you have when you've got that particular situation? You've just got to make it work. And again, like like with Moto3, Moto2 was the, the, the attrition rate was huge. I mean, there were, yeah. were there some 10 riders down fairly early on in, in, in the race. I mean, um, Alonso Lopez led, crashed at Miller's on lap one. Big high side for him as well. Um, mind you, that would have probably saved everyone else from the Alonso effect during the course of the race. <laughs> well, <laughs> the, eventual, <laughs> the eventual winner, Tony Arbolino, ended up with, I think it was like a 15-second lead, but it, I think it was purely down to the fact that there were so many that fell around him. And then they obviously uh, got that red flag out, um, with the initial intent to restart the race when they could, but eventually called it. So it was half points awarded. Uh, for everybody that did manage to, to cross the line in that top 15. But 
Yeah, Arbelino was quite funny. He turned around and said, well, you should get full points for the amount of work we've had to do in this weather, <laughs> which was quite funny. And Aaron Kennett ended up with another second place. I mean, when will this guy win a Grand Prix? He's so, and won a, win a MotoGP Grand Prix. I mean, he's so close all of the time. Arbelino, though, he's got a bit of, I, I seem to remember in him, there was a, a tele-series that came out over here, you know, and uh, at one point they were racing scooters in the snow and stuff like that. And North One produced it, I seem to remember, for, for BT back in the day, but I can't remember the name of it now. Hodgie and all that lot were in it as well. But Arbolino was a little bit special in the slippery stuff. Um, I know it's only a novelty and a bit of fun and games, but he did seem to have, you know, a real edge, Arbolino. He looked so, and at one point, you can imagine how the team would have been on pit wall going, just steady it up a little bit because he was just ploughing faster and faster and faster and sticking the times in easily, Arbolino. But of course, on a track that's wet and cold, that is an advantage because you're putting more heat in your tyres. The harder you're pushing, the faster you can push. It's a real conundrum, really. If, you, if you're going too steady, you lose a bit of heat, so therefore you cannot make the bloody thing stick. And Arbolino, pushing like mad, um, gave him the grip to be able to push like mad. So... Uh, there you go. The harder you try, the better it is sometimes. Well, we are absolutely out of time. I am going to get into so much trouble from Harry for my timekeeping lack of skills. Uh, but we will be back, Keith, on Thursday for extra to look ahead to the Thai Grand Prix. Uh, but for now, let's keep it nice and short and sweet. Goodbye. See you soon. Look forward to it. Thailand is going to be absolutely fantastic, Amy. One of my favourite Grand Prix of the year. See you on Thursday. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.